Halo with D. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track, I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it, could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented, this a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here, no offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to going deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you so much, Capital. And if you like Capital, stick around. You're going to hear from him at the bottom of this episode a little bit of a surprise for you but i'll start with a personal story and last year halloween i bought my son uh, patrick mahomes jersey kind of his curly hair and you know light skin like mahomes and thought it was cute and i can't for the life of me bring myself to put it on and because if he asked me about that chief's logo i don't really know how i would explain it which seems benign but as the chiefs play in prime time it seems every other week be sitting down watching the game with my wife exhausted after cleaning up toys and mess from our children and every time the game starts with fans doing a tomahawk chop and chanting when they are in Kansas City so much so it's normalized that the director is cutting to these shots like it's okay and me and my wife are like how is this a thing still in 2022 almost 2023 and maybe we have greater awareness of the historical trauma here in Canada, whether it's the residential schools or the Indian Act or the 60s scoop or the conversation we've had for a long time about the Highway of Tears and the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And maybe it's because over the last couple of years I've done some reporting, I've been able to be exposed to their beautiful culture and ceremonies that are so, so sacred in the Indigenous community, so much so that I'm envious of them. The meaning and intentionality behind everything that is done and the relationship between caretaking and the land. But what I don't think we understand is that the psychological research is clear. The use of Native American mascots is detrimental, not only to Native people, but to marginalized groups everywhere. Which is why you gotta see this film if you haven't already. It's called Imagining the Indian, the fight against Native American mascotting. It's essentially a comprehensive examination of the movement to eradicate the words, images, the gestures that many Native Americans and Indigenous people and their allies find to be demeaning and offensive. Kevin Blackstone is an exec on that film. He's also, as you know, I'm a longtime sports columnist right now for the Washington Post. You've probably seen him as a panelist on ESPN's Around the Horn. He's a contributor to National Public Radio as well. And when he's not doing that, he's authoring academic articles on diversity in sports media and is a prof at the Philip Merrill College of Journalism. Well, I asked him to join us on this very show and give us an education, take us to school about why Native American and Indigenous mascots is problematic and essentially to explain what he's learned from the research that he studied, but also what he's learned just from looking into his heart. Here's a snippet from the documentary and a conversation with Kevin. Listen and learn as we go deep. It's like being a little bit pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. It's either racist or it's not. Inside the 10, touchdown Redskins. It's just a football team. That to me is not honoring somebody. That to me is demeaning. And if it was any other race of people... Nobody would stand for it. This insult is a door to racism. Change the name. It's up to Native peoples to own their own images, to own their own words, and to be able to own their own feelings. We have a voice now. We're done having people not hear us, and I think we're done playing nice. The name of the film is Imagining the Indian, the Fight Against Native American Mascotting. It's a conversation that has been part of the the sports greater conversation for a while. But this is a real deep look into the fact that it doesn't just hurt members in the Native American community. It hurts members of all equity-seeking groups. Uh, Kevin... I didn't necessarily know that 
uh, co-writer and co-producer of a documentary was something that was going to be on your long list of accomplishments. <laughs> How did you find yourself being a part of this project? Well, I actually birthed the project uh, way back in 2014, if you if you can believe it, with uh, a couple of my friends from uh, uh, from D.C., um, two other black NFL fans of the team, you know, that we grew up with. And the reason we started to think about it was because in 2014, um, there was a ruling by the Patent and Trademark Office in the U.S., which canceled the Washington football team's um, name. And so we thought at that time that the name was going to go away after 80-some years and that the reason it was going to go away was due to um, a lifelong battle that a woman by the name of Suzanne Schoen Harjo, who's a, a Native woman, um, who's been very active in uh, Native American civil rights affairs for, for most of her life, would have won this battle against the billionaire, the multi-billionaire corporation known as the National Football League and one of its entities, one of its franchises right there in Washington. And so we just thought her fight was fascinating. We thought it was a Jane versus Goliath type of deal. And we thought we'd make a, we'd make a film about it. And the other two guys, Sam Bartley and Collie McIver, um, I know through, uh, through Sam's having done um, a documentary on Lynn Bias, a basketball player in, in, um, <clears throat> in the D.C. area who tragically died right after he was the number one draft pick in the NBA um, from a cocaine um, uh, overdose. Um, and that was, that was on ESPN. So we had been kicking around some ideas, and, and this one leapt out us. And we, and we started, to, started to do the research and, and everything to, to get the film done. You said research. I want to follow that up. Because we live in a time where everyone likes to state what offends them. And then on the other side, people say, well, you shouldn't be offended by that, or that's your problem. Right. What does the psychological research say? in terms of what these names mean and what impact they have. Yeah, that's um, so significant. That's something that people, you know, just didn't, didn't think about or didn't realize. But the American uh, Psychological Association, um, years before, uh, had, had done a study on the impact of, of Native American mascotting on Native youth in particular and found out that it contributed to many of the problems that they already had exacerbated those problems. Um, identity, um, self-worth, um, uh, uh, self-harm, um, all these sorts of things because these images surround them in the media uh, where they look to see themselves, and that's all that they see. And so for a population, um, an indigenous population that has you know, suffered, um, you know, centuries ago suffered the first genocide on this continent. Um, that's just, uh, uh, as someone says in our film, it's almost too much to bear. Um, and so that's something that people really didn't, didn't think about. And then the other thing we wanted to focus on, not only the psychological impact, but the history of indigenous people on this continent. And I don't think people realize um, the extent of, of the genocide that they suffered and um, in addition to that, the cultural erasure that um, that they suffered um, by having uh, their their children sent into boarding schools, and I know that you know Canada is going through that that reckoning right now, and so is so is the U.S. and I know the Pope was here um, apologizing for that, but that was uh, you know, that was just a traumatic thing to have to be forced into schools um, where ostensibly you would be getting an education, but the real reason you're there is to force you into assimilation, right? To cut your hair, which is extremely important to you, to not use your native language, which is extremely important to you, to be anything but the native person you, that you've been um, and to practice the, the, the customs that, that you heard you grew up with. Um, and so we tried to, we, you know, initially we weren't thinking about all of that, but in trying to make this film, um, that became an extremely important part of everything. I think what's fascinating and important 
is who made the film, whether, you know, not just you, but right. you know, the group around you, that it was some brothers making the film, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we talk about allyship and what that looks like. And even in the acronym, you know, BIPOC with, with black and indigenous right. at the front, you know, for a reason, you know, sometimes there can be among equity seeking groups, a competition of who has it harder. Sure. Well, you know, <laughs> you're we, right. We, well, I was, I was stolen from my land Well, you're standing on my land that was stolen. Right. 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 And so you, you don't get the same level of buy-in because in a way society is pitting you against each other. Why was it a calling for you, you know, as a black man to tell the story? Well, um, so, uh, back in the, um, back in the early nineties, the last time that the Washington football team was in the, in the Super Bowl. I went not as a journalist. I just went as a fan. Um, I asked my editor, I said, hey, I just went this weekend off. I don't want to cover the Super Bowl. Just want to go have fun. I had uh, somebody give me some tickets. He was like, go ahead. Um, and so as, as I'm walking into the stadium in Minnesota with, um, with my friends, there was a big commotion off to the side. And so I went to investigate it, and it was a protest by Native folks against the name of the team that at that point was probably on my cap and across my, my chest um, and against the logo. And I had never really seen that before. Um, so I thought about it for a while and just went right, right into the stadium. And then several years later, I was writing a column about um, a black community's protest in Midland, Texas, um, in, in the panhandle of Texas when I was a columnist for the Dallas Morning News. And they were protesting the fact that the school was drenched in Confederate imagery. Um, they called themselves the rebels. They played Dixie. They flew the Confederate flag. And black parents had had enough. They said, well, we don't want our daughters scoring baskets on the basketball team and our son scoring touchdown on the, on the football team in honor of something that is offensive to us. And as I was writing that column, I thought back to what I had seen at the Super Bowl, and I began to connect the two. And that's when I really became sensitized to this, um, to this issue. And then Sam and, and, and Kali and I started talking about it. And we had become, by 2014, we had become extremely uncomfortable. We were trying not to use the name, not to say it. Um, I was trying not to write it. I would tell editors, when I write about this team, don't use the name of the team. Um, and so... Uh, that's the, 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 the growth in, the, uh, in, in our sensitivity to it, and it took education, and it took exposure. So one of the things we wanted to do with this film is to educate people about the history of Native folks, um, point out to them why, um, why these, uh, uh, these images and names are, are deleterious to, to, uh, uh, to Native folk and to other people of color as well. Um, uh, and and then we we also were fortunate enough um, to be um, married to uh, the Chesler Foundation, which is um, run by a Jewish woman, Jewish filmmaker in D.C. by the name of Aviva Kempner, um, who makes films about Jewish heroes and heroines. Um, and she was a friend of mine. I happened to mention this project to her, and she desperately wanted in. Because what I didn't know at the time was that she had done work within Indian country. Um, and uh, she had some contacts there. And she knew people. And she was very sensitive to this issue. And so the next thing I know, she brought in Ben West, who um, is from Washington, D.C., like the rest of us. Grew up a fan of a team. Happens to be Cheyenne. His father is, uh, uh, is, is uh, W. Richard West, who... Um, helped found the American Indian Museum uh, in Washington, D.C. And so now we had a Jewish woman, some brothers, a Native guy who brought in more Native people. Um, and so now we had a real, uh, to borrow an old phrase, a real rainbow coalition of, uh, of, of people in media and in film um, uh, to bring this all together. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You mentioned the impact on the indigenous community when you have team names of this sort. What is the impact 
to other people of color? The impact to other people of color is that, as we, we found out, there is research to show that given the decades um, of derision that we have all um, uh, drenched Native people with in the spirit of sport, right? Because we feel good about it in sport. This is, these are names we grow up with and we want to cheer them on. Um, it has made us, it has made it easier for us to treat others the same way. Um, we, we become disconnected. Um, we become desensitized to what it is we're doing. And, you know, uh, one example is right in Washington, D.C., and this is what, what Sam and I would see and think about. You know, we were part of this, right? You know, we, were, we used the name, not thinking about it. Um, the unofficial mascot of the Washington football team when I was growing up was a black guy who went by the name of Chief Z. And he dressed up every game as if he were Indian, wearing their sacred headdresses, wearing clothes that mimicked Indian, Native American attire, um, acting uh, in a way that mocked uh, Native American people. And we all thought that was great, right? Especially when you played the Dallas Cowboys, um, and they had a similarly... Um, a uh, costumed black man as as an unofficial um as an unofficial mascot uh um his name was was um Ray I forget his his first name but um uh and they would play out the trope of 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 cowboys and indians before every game um once again we're not we're not thinking about that so you know at one point I actually wrote a column about how um about how we trivialize um, indigenous people in the same way that we see trivializations of ourselves and our culture being um, uh, misused and misrepresented, and then we get mad, right? And we call people out, but we don't understand we're doing the exact same thing with, with indigenous people who we should be allied with. Are there levels to it in terms of different team names and levels of inappropriateness? And you know, here's why I ask, because with any conversation, sometimes you know you feel strongly, but then you're gaslit by the other side saying, well, see, these three people, they don't have a problem with it. And so there have been so many instances where team name X uh, rolls out, you know, X amount of people from that uh, group and say right. they're comfortable with the name, they like it, so on and so forth. And it's important for me to know that we're not a monolith right. as black people, as Native American and indigenous people. And so we're not going to feel the same about everything. Is there levels to it where it, can I feel aggrieved when there's people from that group who don't have an issue with a specific name? Yeah, um, you know, someone, uh, I've been asked this before, we've all been asked this before, isn't this a complicated matter? And my answer is always, well, we complicate the matter. Um, so are there Native folks who um, have suggested they are unbothered by these images and these names? Yes, there are. Um, uh the question then becomes, why is that? Um, and one of the reasons is because in the media, um, that is the one image of themselves that they, they see. That's it. And so if you wrest that away from them, then, they, then you could say that they disappear, right? Um, and one of the things about this is one of the arguments people have made to us in, in making this film is, you know, we have never, we've never disappeared as a people. You know, we were decimated as a people, but we're still here and we're still going to be here tomorrow. Um, but those images are not images that we created of ourselves. Those images are images that have been created by others 
who think they know what we should look like, whether it's portraiture um, from centuries ago, um, whether it's uh, the mascots today or the images on commercial products. Those aren't images that Native Americans created of themselves. Those are, by and large, images that Europeans created of, of Native Americans. So those aren't, those aren't authentic, but that's all that they've seen. So that's their, that's their one representation to the rest of the world, and they've, they've learned to, to, um, to cling to it. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is that, uh, to, to your point, you know, there have been polls done over the years, right? And they will show that, just as you said, that there are Native folk who say that they are um, unbothered by these images and names. <clears throat> but all of those polls aren't necessarily done the same way. There's all there's signs to polling and all of that. But the one thing I always point out to people is, you know what? There are Native American scientists, scholarly folks at major universities uh, in the United States and in Canada, and they've done their own polls. And their polls show the opposite. But those polls never get the immediate attention that the polls done by where I work, the Washington Post, um, have gotten, or, or Annenberg, um, the Annenberg poll have gotten. So uh, in one sense, I question the media and ask us whether or not we've even been fair in reporting the polls. Um, but by and large, the people that, that we've encountered um, native folk that we've encountered are, are extremely uncomfortable and vehemently opposed to these names and images. So the devil's advocate, if we use the Chicago Blackhawks, who mm-hmm. have an elaborate land acknowledgement to start their games, yep. they are the first to tell you they have a relationship with the, the indigenous community in the area. You know, their name was different. Maybe they don't make any of those steps. In your mind... Is it a zero-sum game that there should never be a name of a sports team uh, that is a caricature of a Native American or Indigenous person? It is a zero-sum game for me. That, that, that's where I'm at now. Um, and, you know, one of the things that um, the Chicago hockey team has done over the years, the, the Wirtz family that, that owns them, um, is they've, they've basically bribed um, people in the Native American community. Um, they've, they've, they've sought them, they've found them. Um, and those folks have been, uh, uh, more than eager, uh, to accept whatever largesse the Wirtz family has, um, to say that they embrace this imagery and embrace the name. Um, they couldn't buy off everyone, uh, but they have, they have bought off, um, bought off those folks. But then, you know, you start to, you start to think about it, and, and as um, one woman who we interviewed um, says in the film, who, who happens to be Native, you know, for what other ethnic group or racial group is this, would this even be acceptable, right? Um, black folks wouldn't stand for it. No matter, you know, if you want to use a, uh, you know, a, a, a name that is, that's been in Merriam-Webster's like Negro, we wouldn't stand for that. Um, you know, a few years ago, somebody printed up the Caucasians T-shirt, right, as to, to, to play off of the, the Washington football team logo. White folks got upset. Um, so uh, to, to, to say that that's okay um, because of what, what the, the ownership of that team is doing is, no, it's not. It, it, it's still not right. It's still not right. It's so... Um, it, it's such an outlier uh, with within sports, and you, and you think about it today, the new leagues that we've had pop up, you know the the, the WNBA, um, uh, the the return of of professional um, professional soccer league, you know they have found plenty of other names, um, and folks are just as happy with with their teams, um, whether they win or lose, and you look at what happened to the the Cleveland baseball team. They're in the playoffs, and I don't think anybody cares about what the old name was. Um, uh, now it's Go Guardians. Um, so <clears throat> these things can be they, they can be fixed pretty easily and pretty painlessly in the end. 
Well, that's the point that I always come back to when I think of this topic is if we're starting a team, LeBron is not calling his future basketball team the Las Vegas Lightskins. Like, that's not happening. <laughs> exactly. No matter how much merch <laughs> and how, how, you know, how great it would be for, you know, Drake to wear it. Like, that's not <laughs> happening. No. And, and we would never even think, the marketing part would never fathom that that no. would be an option. So, so why is it okay, you know, retroactively, um, you know, you got a baseball team in Atlanta. Yep. You got a, a college football team in in the South. That's right. Uh, in Florida, and then obviously you've got you know a team that's on prime time like every other every week, week in football. Yep. Um, thanks to their quarterback in in Kansas City. What's the likelihood in the short term that you think you see those those names change? Well, you know when uh, when Sam and Kali and I started this project in 2014, there were five pro teams. You know, then there were four when, um, uh, when uh, Cleveland started to change. And now there are three after uh, the commanders <laughs> usurped um, the, the, the slur. Um, and in Canada, we now have the Elks. That's right. Because of, that's right. Because the Edmonton football team changed their Exactly. Name. So I think there is a new sensitivity to this. I think there is a new, there is a, a new generation of sports fans who um, uh, who can embrace the idea of change. Um, and not only that, but also see this as being wrong, right? I, I, I think, you know, I think, I think what we saw in the, um, what we've seen in the United States in terms of the, the, um, the George Floyd, the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, um, we, we've seen a, a, a growth of people um, just a groundswell of people starting to look around in their environments and starting to point out those things which they are uncomfortable with and have been around forever, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's Confederate statues, um, team names, um, uh, supremacist police department policies, all of that getting swept away. And I just don't know that these teams will continue to be able to sell tickets, sell merchandise, particularly when they have those off years to this new generation of people um, who are more interested in, in locking arms um, than, uh, than having scuffles over the, the names of, of sports teams. See, and I think that's fascinating because there's one thing about being able to sell tickets and merchandise. I've always seen this conversation as an opportunity to sell new merchandise. Exactly. I've never understood why you would hold on to a name that was divisive for so long when you can transition into something else. Especially because, you know, to a certain extent, this is like real estate. You know, the tax that you pay on on having this is going up 10% year over year. You don't want to be the last person to to buy a house on that block. You no. don't want to be the last organization or team when everyone else has has made that move. And so we'll see where it goes. But with certainty, I know that, you know, like you, I stopped saying the Washington football right. team's nickname. And I actually think they should have just stuck with, with Washington football right. team. Right, that would have been great, I, right? I thought that was fine. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, us here at Sportsnet, we, we stopped writing the name mm. uh, online in our articles. But that made me feel better. But really and truly, after Dan Snyder said repeatedly he was never going to change the name, right? it changed because of corporate sponsors yep. and probably some pr- pressure from minority owners. Yep, yep. Is really the conversation about us speaking with our dollar more so than even speaking with our mouse. Well, I think it has. I think I think there's some. There was some heft to the economic side of it, but none of that pressure on FedEx, for whom the field um, is named in Washington, um, uh, would have happened without the groundswell um, in the wake of George Floyd's um, murder. 
um, it, it was the it, it was the activists on the street that forced the hand. Um, and I'll just give you one example. Um, uh, the the Washington football team was the last team to integrate in the NFL, and that was purposeful on the part of the man who founded the team, uh, purchased it in in Boston and brought it down to Washington, D.C., George Preston Marshall. And George Preston Marshall ran his businesses like a racist. Um, And he wanted to keep that team all white to appeal to his, to, to appeal to the South, the Southern football fan, because that was when he bought it. And for, and up until 1960, um, the southernmost team in the NFL. So he had that market. Um, his history is, is well known. There's a statue or a, a memorial, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, it's a huge block um, outside of the old football stadium in Washington, D.C. And even after the stadium got mothballed and the city's trying to figure out what to do with it, that memorial stood there. Until one night when the George Floyd protests were roiling in the heart of Washington, D.C., and it spilled over into the neighborhood where the stadium um, uh, is located, the old football stadium, and protesters uh, defaced that memorial and toppled it to the ground. And the next day, the city had to come in and remove it. So... There was a connection that people saw between um, white supremacy, um, the murder of George Floyd, uh, the Confederacy, and a racist team owner like George Preston Marshall. Um, So all of that is kind of like, all that's kind of laced. It's all laced together. So had it not been for the activism on the the street, um, had FedEx not witnessed that, and realized they were on the wrong side of history, um, nothing may have happened. I wonder, have we lost momentum? The racial reckoning of George Floyd is spring 2020. Right. We are now fall into winter 2022. Do you still see the same level of energy and enthusiasm and willingness on the flip side to listen and learn now around these conversations as you did, you know, that spring when, you know, our inboxes were full of press releases from companies giving their oath to do better. Um, I don't see the same level or it's not as, uh, I I shouldn't say level. Um, it's not as visual, right. Um, but there are a lot of conversations going on behind the scenes. Um, with a lot of a lot of entities, like we know that um, uh, we know that there are some discussions going on in Atlanta about about the baseball team. Um, uh, you know, we've we've tried to get this film in front of people in Kansas City, and we're going to be able to do that. Um, we just we were just in Atlanta with the film um, at the Human Rights. Uh, film festival in Atlanta uh, a few weeks ago, and we won best documentary. Uh, and now the and now we're in some other organizations within the civil rights community are inviting us back to show the film to to their um, constituency. So um, there's a different type of energy now. Uh, I would say it's maybe it's more um, uh, it's more. Um, uh, conversational or more um mm, it's it's at a level where it wasn't before i i would say that there are more there's more of a conversation with entities like a fedex um with city governments um than before before it was in the streets and and now maybe it's it's uh uh it's in some boardrooms uh, which is ultimately where it needs to be. And it needs to be had with people who aren't immersed in sports culture. Oh, absolutely. Where it is so second nature. Mentioned that obviously Kansas City is playing prime time games all the time. And right. 
you know, they've got their ceremony where they bring out an old player, Dante Hall, let's say, and he, you know, rings the bell or whatever. Right. And then the entire, the, stadium, right. the, uh, entire stadium rings a drum. Entire stadium jumps up. Yeah. yeah and, and, and starts doing a chop. And my, my wife, who's, you know, part of, you know, she's a sports fan and is, was a, you know, uh, university athlete, but not watching 16 Chiefs games a year is like, right. what do you mean this is what they do all the time? And it, and, it, and it takes someone right. like that to reframe me like, well, of course, 80,000 people doing this, 80,000 adults right. doing this is ridiculous at this time. Do you think we will not too far from now look back and be like, man, how, how did we let this happen in, in so many different ways? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the, the old footage that we have of cartoons and movies and the way that, that indigenous people are portrayed in those. And you, you just look at them and you think, what, what, what were people thinking? This is, this is outrageous. It's obnoxious. You know, it's straight up racist. We know that. Um, but it went on and on and on. Um, uh, and I certainly think when you, when you start to look at sports, even, even some of the schools and, and, and teams where changes have already been made, um, and you look back at the change uh, that they made it from, and you just scratch your head and you wonder what, what, like, who thought that this was a good idea, and why didn't someone speak up and say, "No, we we need to go in another direction if we're going to 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 market this team." Um, you know, we can't redact the humanity of a people um, to a level of bears and lions and other animals that um that that we we pin on uh, uh sports teams and so I, I do think that you know we will look back we're already looking back at you know at the 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 cartoonish the racist cartoonish character that the cleveland baseball team had for so many years just up until recently you know we we would never do that to to any any other any other people um but it was easy for us to do it to native folk because we don't even pretend like they exist, right? That they are artifacts of, of some other time. Uh, in fact, they are still right here with us. Well, sports can be a great distraction from life's ills, but it's also a great platform to learn yeah. and grow from life's ills. And that's what you've done with this project. That's what you've done with this conversation. So thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. All the best with it and uh, appreciate the time. Thank you. So, show you heard how I felt and how Kevin felt. How do you feel? What was your takeaway from that conversation? I think for me, when it comes to the the imagery, the iconography of what we generally have seen with uh, indigenous franchises or indigenous images for franchises, it's you you and you heard it there with the documentary, and I recommend that everyone go see it. But it definitely. I think hammers home because a lot of people, a lot of people say, "Oh, well, it's been, these these images have been around for so long. It can't. It, there's no way it can be hurtful." And it just feels like it's it's. I guess it's so easy to just completely accept the status quo and say, "Okay, well, it doesn't. It's been around for X amount of years, X amount of decades. It doesn't hurt anyone." But you know, as you're hearing, there are firsthand accounts of people for whom this does actually hurt. And I mean, you, you know, think you look at the the Commanders, for example, now, and they went from the former name to the Washington football team to the Commanders, and it's funny, right? Because Donovan, I guarantee you, if the Commanders had been the name of that franchise since, let's say, like the fifties or sixties, nobody would have an issue with it. Like, it's the most generic name you'll ever hear. It's like the kind of name that the uh, your 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 moved franchise in Madden gets automatically when you like the computer generates it for you. It's like it's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty boring, but at the same time, like if if that's been the name since the sixties, no one would have an issue with it whatsoever. So. Changing it now, I'm, I don't know. If it, if it hurts less people, I, I don't really see the argument for, for not doing it. Yeah, I love the Washington football team Yeah, as a name. I just, to your point, we would never come up with these names if we were asking a marketing firm right now. So I don't know why keeping them uh, makes sense. Maybe it's our Canadian sensibilities. We're going to holler at my homie Nabil after the break to see if the conversation in the United States is similar and just to check in with him. Stay tuned. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. 
my grandson as a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Go and Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that you had the show. Thank you. So I'm so happy to bring on uh, to the podcast someone who's been a huge supporter and someone who I'm super envious of, not only for the exploits in his career, but quite frankly, what his closet looks like. Uh, Nabil Karim joins us. Thank you so much, my dude, uh, for joining and hopping on with me, as I know you're busy covering you know, three and a half sports for Turner in Atlanta. I was talking to Kevin Blackstone earlier in the program about Native American, Indigenous mascots and why they're problematic. And from the outside looking in, I believe that like we have this very present conversation in Canada, given the residential schools, so much so that, you know, the Edmonton Elks are now a franchise. They've changed their name. I don't feel like it's as pressing a conversation in the U.S. because the nightly news is led by whether or not Donald Trump is going to run. Uh, and so you still see the Braves in the market where you are, or the Chiefs. It, 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 is that fair, or do you, do you see it differently having lived in both countries? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you might be right about that. I mean, listen, this country is just so much bigger. It's hard to compare to Canada, right, in that sense. And that's one thing I've learned um, is that just the vast uh, size of the United States, um, it just makes it so hard to compare to Canada in a sense um, when you're talking about things like that. Listen, like, you know, the Cleveland Guardians, that, that that's an example where, you know, they have done right by that situation. But, you know, as far as, it being front page news, you're right. I don't see it as much. The, the conversation does come up and there's no doubt about that. And there are people who bring it up quite a bit. Um, but if you're saying it's front page news all the time, probably not. Um, and, and there's you know, a whole host of reasons for that. But um, it's, again, it's just so hard to compare countries in that sense and just what's been done in Canada and what's being done in the United States. But I do think the conversation is there. I don't want to say it's not there. It's just not front page if you're asking me that um, all the time, 24-7. Well, you say it's tough to compare, so automatically I'm going to double down and follow up and ask you to compare because you've been able to live in multiple regions, cover multiple sports. Is there one takeaway that you found in terms of the fandom in the United States around sports and how it compares and contrasts to the way that we consume and indulge in sports here in Canada? That's interesting because, you know, when I first moved to the States, um, you know, growing up in Canada, I wasn't a huge like college football guy, right? I just, I just didn't consume it that much in Canada. Um, And then I got here and I kind of compare the fandom to like hockey, which, you know, in Canada, obviously it is what it is. And there's an insane amount of passion for it. Um, And then you get out here and it's like college football, the NFL, obviously, but like, College football, I knew the NFL and I knew, you know, the passion for the NFL, but college football was one to me where it is incredibly passionate out here. And, you know, I lived in Connecticut for, for a bit there and now I'm in the South and, you know, (laughs) people and their association and their affiliations to their school. It's serious. It's serious business out here. Um, And sometimes you don't want to be saying you're, you're cheering for a certain team in a certain area. So I think that's where I would compare, um, you know, hockey and college football as far as the passion is concerned. And I would almost go as far as saying, like, people are a little crazier out here, you know, as far as, as, far <laughs> as their football is concerned. Um, and, and, I, and I say that, you know, in a fun-loving way. I was actually uh, in Nashville a few weeks ago when um, I think it was Tennessee beat Georgia, right? Yes. Uh, and no, not, not Georgia, beat Alabama. Alabama. Sorry, Alabama, right? Alabama, yeah. And Tennessee beat Alabama. And we were in Nashville at that time. And just by chance, we're there. And I can't even explain to you what it meant uh, out there. We were a few hours away from school, obviously. But, like, it, 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 was, it was crazy. Like, we were all of a sudden, like, just enthralled in what was going on. And, and the people celebrating and cheering and doing all sorts of things that I probably couldn't tell you in the podcast here. But, um, it is pretty pretty neat to see um, that connection between football and Americans. Well, the fact that you get to cover 
both hockey and basketball for Turner in the States gives you a, a real good focus group in terms of how those sports interact with their fans and with greater culture differently. I love the fact that you're on the coverage in hockey because I'm like, finally, like we're diversifying, not just who's covering it, but but the flavor, the sound uh, of the sport. And Turner really has done a great job of pushing that envelope. But do you feel the difference? Like you're doing the same job ostensibly, but do you feel the difference covering different sports? And does that bleed into the way that you present? Do you feel you have to be looser or more buttoned up in, in one arena or the other, even though you're literally might be in the same building comparing hockey to basketball. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's different in a sense. Um, I think the special thing Turner does, and and you kind of reference it there is that like, they want you to have fun and be creative, man. And it's so much more loose than any place I've ever been, been at. And, and that's just a genuine mentality going into it. And, And when they got hockey back, I think their approach was we're going to do this like we kind of do the NBA, right? Because we do the NBA so uniquely and so well. Um, and and if you look at our, our our panel for for the NHL, I think that they kind of uh, have have followed those footsteps, right? Like they got their own thing going because nobody can be the inside guys, right? Like there's only one inside group and inside the NBA, but you can take elements of that and make it successful. And I think we've done that. Uh, we do hockey differently than it's done at ESPN and they do it their way and they do a good job too, but we do it differently. And I think for me, when, when I'm reporting, I was just in um, Tampa Bay the other day. I say the other day, I think it was like last week, but um, doing the Oilers and, and lightning game, you know, my approach isn't much different than it would be when I'm doing the NBA games on TNT and I'm reporting for them. Um, I kind of take the same approach of like, you know, trying to talk to players and, and trying to get stories that I would use, on the NBA side of things, I, I think the only difference, you know, is that I'll tell you one thing. What's crazy right now to me is like hockey is so fast right now. The game is so crazy and there's so much talent and speed that like when you're doing these in-game hits, you got to be so careful because in the NBA, you can bleed over a couple buckets, right? You're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but in hockey, you miss a goal. Like everything's happening so fast. So that, that that's the one thing, but that's just the sport itself. Um but as far as my approach, I don't think it's very different. And I think that's really unique, right? Because uh, in the past, yeah, it would have been different. I probably would have been more buttoned up for sure for hockey because, again, the way it's broadcasted in Canada, it's different. It, it's a lot more serious. And here, they're just taking a more – casual is not the right word, but um, they're taking a, a much different approach where it's like let's have some fun and let's bring in the elements that we – have brought in with the NBA that's made it so successful. And I think it's, I I mean, from what I understand and from what I've gathered from what people have thought about the NHL and TNT, they've had a lot of fun that first year. They're really excited about this season when we got the Stanley Cup. Well, one of the differences that's self-evident is there's an abundance of great Canadians playing hockey. Basketball, our young players are on a rise. You are much nicer and more humble than me because if i was walking around the turner studios on a basketball night i would be so so ignorant about the canadians playing i would just be walking around and be like what do you know about benedict matherin talk to me nice about shea gilgis alexander what has it been like for you uh to see as you're doing your thing in america all of these canadians popping up across the league young canadians just stepping in and and bawling out immediately yeah, you're right. They're nice, man. It's there's a sense of pride, man. You know, and and I I think I had it when I was at ESPN. I still have it here, where you know when I was at ESPN on Sports Center, I, I do hey shout out Canada when whenever we had a Canadian that was going off, um, and I still do that here a lot on our NBA shows. And you know, at times they're probably like, all right, here he goes again, Canadian guy again. Yeah, we get it. You're from Canada, but um. There's just a sense of like immense pride, you know, watching, you know, Shea right now, what he's doing in the NBA is absolutely ridiculous. Like the guy's confidence level is, um, you know, just skyrocketed uh, his shot, everything just about his game right now. Like it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him and and what OKC does. And um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I think everyone at Turner who, who's kind of gotten to know me now knows that hey, the Canadian guy is going to say something about the Canadians because our program is incredible. Like, hopefully it all comes together 
and we can represent uh, you know on the world stage when it comes time but um it's never been better like you you said it yourself right like the talent that keeps on coming in and then you're looking at some of these high school prospects that are coming through prep schools and so forth and we got more guys coming through the pipeline and it, and it's just this crazy wave of canadians that are are making um you know us on the international scene so prominent and and I, I go back again to when I was in high school and it was like Steve Nash, right? It was like one guy and just to see one Canadian kind of get through. We had a couple others, but like as far as prominence, it was Steve Nash. And now to see so many Canadians around, I think as far as international countries, we're, I think, second, right? As far as uh, countries are concerned, just generally after the United States and the NBA represented. So um, again, it's just hopefully everything can come together on the international stage because we have a lot of Canadians in the NBA doing their thing, but I guess putting them together and seeing what Nick Nurse is doing with the program, it's pretty exciting. I feel like a proud papa in a way because I remember the days when it was, oh, man, like Robert Sacre is going to be putting in some work on our national team. And now it's like, well, who's who's coming off the bench? Like you start RJ, do you play two guards with Jamal and Shea in the backcourt together, right? The, the barbershop debates that we could have in terms of, who you might leave home for a world championship in Olympics uh, is next level. So it has come a long way. And to your point, there, there are more kids coming, which we will see during your wonderful March Madness. Just jumping on that. I, I think, I think it, you're completely right about that. I think it really changed when we started talking about who are we going to cut? Mm. You know, at that point when we started saying, Hey, there's potentially NBA players that we're going to cut that's when the conversation changed and that's when you know hey okay now we have actually taken it to the next level because we have so much talent in this country yeah and we'll see a lot of that talent well we see it in the league but we'll see it this march uh, during your wonderful march madness coverage and the last thing i need to get your perspective on is i i live vicariously through your ig not just for your fashion but for your family a beautiful family super cute kids but it's the segment that is taking over North America. I don't know if it's if it's reached you down south yet, but I need you to weigh in on Dadgery. All rise. Dadgery is in session. So, Nabil, you have two children. They're older than mine. I've, I've got a you know young buck, 10 months, three and a half, and I'm constantly being tested, and so I, I need some help. And so the older one... He's, he's pushing my buttons now that there's a younger one in the house. Getting a little violent, a little possessive. There was one time, literally, he went street fighter Ryu and just roundhouse kicked his younger brother in the face. Now, I was super proud in the moment that the youngster just took it and just looked at him like, wait until I can walk. It's on. But I also, like, this is not good. So what, what I found myself doing, which even as I say it sounds ridiculous, I, I'm trying to discipline the older one. Right. And I can't discipline the way our parents did. Right. This might not, might not be uh, okay to, to go with the method of if you can't hear your guan feel. But timeouts, talking to him, explaining what did you do wrong, using my quiet books, quiet voice, all the things that I've read on the internet and in Barnes and Noble's books. But I actually, when he's playing nicely with the young one, sometimes kid, the baby doesn't know what he's doing, flails and hit him and so i actually went and took the baby aside because he was like he can't hit me you said you can't hit and i took the baby aside and i spoke to the baby as if it understood what i was saying to prove the point that like we're equitable over here we're holding everybody accountable it's like belichick going after the backup quarterback so that tom brady hears the lesson so am i crazy as a dad if i'm sitting down a 10 month old and i'm saying rowan you know you can't hit. Don't let me have to talk to you about this again. We love our brother. We don't hit anybody. We definitely don't hit our brother. You protect your brother. Say sorry. It, it, am, I, am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? How do you adjudicate the two children and keeping them sane, I suppose? You, you know what? That's, uh, that's a great technique, man. Uh, I like that. I like that because it's tough. Like My kids are seven and three, so... Uh, we're getting into a state. It was great at first where uh, when Hannah, my, my youngest, was born, Adam was four, so he's self-sufficient. And he's kind of at Rowan's age right now, you said. Um, and so now, though, we're having an issue because 
again, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old who talks back to the seven-year-old and they're going at each other all the time. Um, so I like the way you went at it. Um, I would also say, and this is a dad fail I do all the time, is that sometimes I bribe my kids, man. Like I, I bribe the older one. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like sometimes you need peace, man. And we don't have help here as far as like family and stuff. Yes. And sometimes me and my wife we're drowning, and you know we'll, we'll try the things like you said. You know we'll we'll even say hey, like we'll tell Hannah our youngest, hey, you can't even if she's not in the wrong. Sometimes it's kind of like okay, just to even it out with Adam because Adam's the oldest, so he gets you know more of the brunt of all all the punishment and stuff. He should know better, that kind of thing. And then there's times, man, where I'm like, hey, Adam, you want to play Switch? Like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's like been terrible. Like, you, do you want to go play your Switch? He's like, really, Dad? I'm like, yeah. And then my wife looks at me. She's like, are you effing kidding? Are you like, this is how you're going to parent? Like, this is, this is, a, this is no punishment. But sometimes I need some sanity, man. And so um, I, I applaud the way you were doing things because it's the right way. Uh, you know, 99% of the time you want to teach them the right lessons, but then that other 1%, man, like you just got to give up, give in sometimes. <laughs> I, so I, I, I might be the wrong guy to ask. I, I love the bribery. I love that it's like before name, image, and likeness. You're the bad guy on the on the coaching staff at an NCAA program. Just just bribery to, to get you to do what I need you to do. Uh, yeah, we, we've. I was the parent, or I was the pre-parent before I had kids, walking around at whether it's a mall or a grocery store, seeing a kid act up and like looking and saying to my my wife, well, "That's not gonna be my kid, not me." And now I am uh, that parent, just be like, "No, we do not need 17 boxes of craft dinner. Like, please put them back on the shelf." So uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna resort to bribery. Thank you, Nabil. I, I, this is why I come to you. Um, because you always set me straight. Appreciate you taking the time, and we were always that I give you that. Yeah, we were always fanning uh, in, in um, looking to see. Oh, is there a U.S. U.S. matchup so that we can get a little bit more of you on our TVs here in Canada? Because you're killing it in the United States. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, man. Love that guy. Love following him because, as I say, his kids are super cute. If you want to follow him on IG, it's at Nabil Karim. Twitter, it's at Nabil Karim. TV and some housekeeping. Blackstone on Twitter is at Prof Blackstone. Speaking of following, so many people have followed the show and said that intro. Who did it? Where can I hear more from them? Well, here you go. One, if you want to follow Capital on IG, it is at Capitals List. But if you want to hear more from him, well, surprise, we got him with us in studio. What's up, man? What's up, D? How we doing here? We live at the Fan Five Ninety right now. This is like this is a dream come true, man. You're looking at a kid who watches all the time. Tim has said, like, I'm in the building. So I have to give you something extra. Dream for you. Nightmares for other hip-hop artists. You know everybody's going to want to come back here and do this after. Well, you set the bar high. I'm a one-on-one, man. We can't do this. All right, let's hear it. Show. Let's do it. Drop the beat. <clears throat> Yo, it's Capital Magnum Opus Music. Going deep. Live with Donovan Bennett. Check it. I be on my 1980s time cruise. Top gunning it. I got all the right moves. Only want to be viewed in my truest hue. Knew at some point my Cindy Lopez is shine through. So if the I and I come true, take five. Call Peter. I'm skinning rap cats alive. About to head a gang sold up, hog tie. Cause they said I wouldn't get bacon until pigs fly. Ha-ha. I can't forgive. Live and let die. Ain't nobody shed no tears when I cry. If I said I'm number one, well, D, I lied. I'm number one, two, three, four, and five. Uh-huh. Hop up off my nuts, little kitty I run these MCs, y'all just diggy Ooh. Capital, a.k.a. the new biggie About to start a revolt, Smitty called Diddy uh, I exist in a rarefied space You couldn't keep up if I let you set the pace Life ain't for the swift unless you got a wraith I'm a cop one, fresh off the lot, check the plates Been cool like Freon, feel like an eon Now my name's a neon, I'm primetime like Dion You sitting in my throne, be gone Buzz about to go to infinity and beyond Price of success, win at all costs Learn how to take a loss and still end up the boss Listen
listen, the common sense, not my juice graded. Concentrated till it had me consecrated. Not devoid of any void. I developed like a Polaroid, pretty boy. But the vocabulary on steroids. My tracks bump so hard, you'll get a keloid. God ain't put this gift on my lap, but on my deltoids. I ain't never bust a gun, kill anyone. Lived under the pressure of one, didn't run. Numb the pain with 151 of rum. Son, generational curses weigh a ton. Mirror, mirror, why my soul Gensu? Two thumbs up, pointed back at YOU. I am the gold standard, I pity the fool. Think you kick it like me, now you too on fool. Ain't a hard knock life no more, this just knocks hard. Hear the kick in the door, the walls in the vanguard. You can't dance a yard, you can't go abroad. Try draw a card, but it came back fraud. Dog, I'm the new chief musician, on God. Tongues mightier than the sword, on guard. You never heard nothing this fresh in Mitchell and Ness. You thought I was going right, I went left. Just when you thought I was down, I George Jeff, everything's far fetched. So you make a Hail Mary catch. Thought I wouldn't breathe again. Go hold your breath. You try to walk in my shoes, you break your neck. Yo, high off life. Drunk off champagne. I'm more like Jigger. Uh, it's capital. It's a one on one. Magnum Opus Music, the Fan 590. Donovan, you know, we started today, you know? Every rapper in town gonna wanna do this. Let them know who did it first. Capital, come on. What are we talking about? It's light, man. It's not playing games. Sports that audio. Never I might be capital. the best spitter in Toronto since Pat Borders. I swear to God. <laughs> I swear to God. Take that to the bank. My guy said Pat Borders. Mike, drop.